Hey everyone, my name is Kylo. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. My mind is this is Everything That You Need To Know, a series where I break down everything that you need to know about different topics in approximately 10 minutes. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the Federal Reserve. I personally am so excited. I love monetary policy. I think it's fascinating. So go ahead and hit subscribe. Tomorrow, I'm actually doing something a little bit different. It'll be a more thought PC thing. It'll be more of a podcast style format. If you want the notes for this, they are attached in the white box below. I'm gonna provide a really high level overview of what the Federal Reserve is, what they want to achieve, how they achieve what they want to achieve, what they talked about yesterday because there was an FOMC meeting yesterday, and some philosophical questions. <laughs> what is the Fed? The Fed is essentially a two-part structure. It's a central authority with the Board of Governors in Washington, DC. It also has a decentralized network, <laughs> crypto, of 12 Federal Reserve banks located throughout the United States. It is independent within the government. It's a quasi-governmental agency. We'll talk about what that means. Those board of governors oversee these 12 reserve banks. The board is made up of seven members who are nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Then within that, there's also the FOMC. This is the Monetary Policy Unit of the Federal Reserve. When you think of the Federal Reserve, this is probably what you're thinking of. It has 12 members, seven members of the board of governors, so what I just talked about, and five of the 12 Reserve Bank presidents. Jerome Powell is the chair. They meet eight times per year, about every six weeks, to just discuss what's going on in the economy and figure out how they need to nudge stuff. <laughs> the Federal Reserve Banks, so those are 12 districts that are headquartered in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Richmond, Atlanta, Chicago, St. Louis, Minneapolis, Kansas City, Dallas, and San Francisco. What does the Fed want to achieve? They have this dual mandate where they want to promote maximum employment and then they want to have stable prices. And they also, right, now have, want to have moderate long-term uh, interest rates. Maximum level of employment doesn't have a defined goal. They say maximum level of employment is a broad-based and inclusive uh, goal that is not directly measurable and changes over time, largely owing to non-monetary factors that affect the structure and dynamics of the labor market. The Fed can't go out and be like, hey, everybody, hire people right now, and this is how you're going to hire them. This is exactly what you're going to pay them. They don't have that power, so it's really tough for them to be like, this is what the maximum level of employment should be. So this is actually a shift from full employment. The Fed used to have a goal of full employment, but now it's this idea of maximum employment where they're focusing on not only having a lot of people be employed, but they're also shooting for inclusivity and wage growth, which has been a problem historically. Wages have not grown at the same rate as asset prices or general prices. But the jobs market is kind of funny. 4% of people have quit their job because they made money in crypto. A lot of people stopped working during the pandemic. There is a labor shortage right now, right? The um, employment market has definitely not recovered, but that is one thing that the Fed targets is maximum employment. On the other side of that, and this is what they're most known for, is inflation. So they want to have price stability. Inflation is the rise in price levels over time. So the Fed is going to manage that and do that through stabilizing prices. There's a couple of different ways that inflation comes into a system. There's demand pull inflation, which is what we have now, which is a rising demand in the economy. It's almost on the other side of the pandemic, we're seeing a rise in inflation because of people just demanding a certain amount of goods. We also have cost push inflation. So rising costs due to price pressure on the supply chain, rising costs in oil prices, those different inputs into the products that we consume. Measure inflation through the PCE and breaks things down into goods and services. The Fed stabilizing prices with the supply chain problems that we have now. If you don't know what's going on in the supply chain, I have a video on it. I highly recommend you go watch that. 
but they recognize that they cannot achieve everything that they want to achieve because they can't go out and fix the supply chain. That's just not something that that is in their policy toolkit. Until inflation normalizes to the point where it's not the supply chain that's impacting everything, kind of that structural inflation, they're going to have to take a step back and it's more focused on consumer demand at that point because then they can come in and use their policy tools. So they used to do inflation targeting, but now they do average inflation targeting. The main goal for inflation was about 2%, right? When inflation approached or got near to 2%, they were like, whoa, whoa, okay, time for us to step in. But now there's average inflation targeting of 2% over the long run. So the pandemic kind of threw everything into a tizzy. It can go above 2%, it can go below 2%, and they're not going to freak out, right? So right now it's like 5.5%. The Fed normally would have stepped in, been like, whoa, whoa, time for us to take care of this. But they have this average inflation targeting for the stable prices part of their dual mandate now. So that's everything that's going on. They have this goal of stable prices, maximum employment. They don't really know how to achieve that, but that's something that they pay attention to. Maximum employment being that they're paying attention to wage growth and inclusivity in the labor force. They have average inflation targeting around those that stable prices mandate. Whoo, right? Like that's a lot to worry about. How do they achieve what they want to achieve? So I'm going to talk about three of them, open market operations, the discount rate and reserve requirements. So please note, everything here is going to be nudging. Uh, they don't actually do directly much of anything. It's, it's nudge, nudge. The whole economy is just a big nudge. It's just a big nudge towards nudging something. So open market operations are where they go and buy and sell U.S. Treasury securities along with other securities on the open market in order to influence the supply of money that is in U.S. banks. That's going to influence the federal funds rate, which influences the banks. The federal funds rate is the interest rate that banks charge each other for overnight loans. So this really influences them because sometimes they need to like get reserves to meet payment needs to do different uh, regulatory requirements for minimum requirements for reserves and liquidity. The, the federal funds rate really impacts the treasury market, which is sort of like government bonds, government securities, and it impacts the short-term treasury securities. The federal funds rate, you can think of it as like kind of a nudge towards, but it can also influence other rates in the economy. So this is kind of them nudging everybody along by moving the federal funds rate through open market operations. They normally have a target range for the federal funds rate right now, zero to 0.25%. If they want to move that around or really to keep it stable, they have to buy and sell securities on the open market. There's two different types of monetary policy. There's expansionary, which is going to increase the supply of money. It's going to encourage people to go spend. Then there's contractionary, which is going to increase the supply of money and discourage people to go spend. And I'm going to talk about both of those and how they are influenced by Fed policy here. When they want to engage in contractionary monetary policy where they're like, whoa, everybody, chill out. Things are way too hot right now. The Fed is going to sell securities to banks. Banks are going to give money to the Fed. That means that the banks have less money that they're able to lend out to consumers. And because they have less money that they're able to lend out, they're going to charge a higher rate on the amount that they do lend out because they just don't have as much. Banks theoretically should have fewer reserves that they're able to lend out to everybody. And they're like, well, you got to be pretty cool in order to take our money. As this federal funds rate increases, so do other rates in the economy. So it just gets harder and harder to borrow. Consumers are going to be like, whoa, I get the picture. I'm not going to participate anymore. Prices calm down because things aren't going as fast. There's also expansionary. So basically the opposite. They're going to purchase government securities from banks they're gonna say hey banks here's some money banks should theoretically say okay okay we got more money now we're gonna lend it out to people we're gonna charge a lower rate because we got so much money anybody who wants a loan come get it we just have so much money for everybody we put downward pressure on other interest rates the consumers are gonna be like woo go and buy a lamborghini people are spending more they're 
doing more buying and that is expansionary monetary policy. There's also other arms within the open market operations. So there's the standing repo facility. This is daily overnight repo against certain securities to provide more of a backstop to money markets. When they enter into an overnight repo transaction, they're going to buy and then agree to sell the security back uh, to that same party the next day. If we didn't have this sort of system, money market rates would essentially be zero. Short term, there'd be negative probably so rates would be negative if we didn't have this probably uh, another monetary policy tool that the fed uses interest on reserve balances if the banks keep money with the fed that's what the fed pays them to keep the money there banks are not going to lend out at a rate any lower than this interest on reserve balances because why would they why would they take their money if they're already getting a pretty good rate at the Fed and give it to anybody else. And so that puts a floor on the rate for banks and how they think about lending out. The overnight reverse repurchase agreement facility also allows for a floor on the federal funds rate. The ceiling would be the discount rate. That's the interest rate charged by the Fed for loans that are made through the Fed's discount window. This is like a lender of last resort sort of situation. Nobody's going to use the Fed, but they know that they can go and borrow from the Fed at this certain rate. So they're not going to borrow any higher than that. So that just really encourages the banks to lend to each other at lower or and or higher rates. There's also reserve requirements, which is how much the banks are supposed to keep on hand. You have to keep even more reserves in your banks. You can't lend that stuff out, stop it. That's going to encourage the banks to lend out less, and that's going to be contractionary. So right now, the reserve requirement is near zero, right? That's going to encourage them to lend out even more. The summary of all of this is the Fed is going to make all of this policy to influence the banks, and the banks are meant to be this V vehicle to tell consumers what to do in producers. Banks are going to be like, oh no, it's really hard to get a loan right now. That's going to influence consumers and producers to not spend as much, to not invest as much money into capital structures. Contractionary for the economy, it's not going to grow as fast. But if the banks were like, oh, loans for everybody, that is going to, like right now, that's going to encourage everybody to go out and spend, go out and do this. Be in the economy. Go and be an economic entity. They have a ton of other policy tools that I didn't hit on. I'll probably do like a follow-up if there's interest but man it is a niche niche market in terms of who's interested or not so this is just a high level overview there was an fomc meeting yesterday what did they talk about what did they discuss so here's a picture of kind of all the different changes that they had one of the main things was that they have recognized that inflation is sort of here rather than just calling it transitory they said it's expected to be transitory uh jerome powell did say that transitory is meant to be short-lived it's not like a time compo component to them it means that inflation will not be persistently higher for a very long time, but transitory doesn't mean that it's going to be gone in like a month. It could be much longer in terms of transitory. They also commented that they're a little bit farther away from maximum employment that they would like to be. So that was kind of the reason behind why we did not see tightening in terms of higher rates. We did see a reduction in the amount of asset purchases. So they're slowing their bond buying down by $15 billion a month, which will provide less support to those markets. That'll be less expansionary, right? More contractionary. And I think it was Connor Sin, who tweeted this from Bloomberg, it's not about being hawkish now, it's about creating optionality, be hawkish next year if needed. Essentially, they've noted that supply chains have been pretty wacky, demand is out the wazoo, they're recognizing all that stuff, we're going to start tapering, and so we're going to pull back a little bit. Powell noted that this is a really different world. It's really hard to build policy in a world. On the other side of pandemic, we've never seen a labor market. Full employment, they said, should arrive next year, but they're not sure. Inflation should fade, but they're not sure when. QE will They'll taper by $15 billion a month in terms of bond purchases. That pace could change. They don't know. It's not rate hike time. 
we are living in such a weird world and monetary policy is going to reflect that so everything that i just said like that's kind of what they're trying to do but in the real world it's not always applied that's kind of why i'm making these videos is because the world is so weird right now the fed is doing all of this stuff but it, it it's not working in the same manner that it does in an academic textbook which is why it's important to talk about it not only from you know this pure academic standard what is monetary policy what is it meant to do but also what does it actually achieve what is it trying to achieve and is it working and i think those are important conversations to have which is why i'm making these videos i think a couple of questions that i have weigh in if you if you want i think an interesting thing with the fed is they're decentralized right so they're nominated but they're also separated from the government so it's, it gets weird should we as the people be nominating a fed president like should this be something that the president has control over considering there's supposed to be this quasi-government independent entity but the government still nominates them what's going on there and also what is actually a functioning market you should listen to the odd lots podcast with Joseph Wang, who's Fed guy on Twitter, I highly recommend him, but he was in the Federal Reserve. And one thing he said, it doesn't seem like a lot of people actually know what's going on. It's based on seniority. It's very, very governmental, if you know what I'm saying. And I think an important thing to consider, is this actually a functioning way to run a market? What actually should be our goals as a society? Should it be maximum employment? Should it be price stability? Should we think about different ways to achieve those goals rather than giving all the power to the banks? Another thing to think about, stock market versus the economy, they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Oftentimes when the Fed speaks, people are staring at the stock market saying, will it go up and go down? Jerome Powell is not in charge of the stock market as much as we might think he is the economy. And we're getting those two things conflated. It's not just about the stock market at the end of the day. And that it's a second order effect with the stock market. Like, oh, trickle down. No, nope, nope, no, not, not the way it's structured right now, at least. I think another thing to think about, you know, what should we do about these insider trading scandals? It's just unfortunate that this is the way that things kind of work is the people who have the ins insider information, should they be able to do that? I should Bill Ackman be able to lobby the Fed on, on raising interest rates, knowing that he could benefit from that positioning? Like what? What? How free should the market be? Final things like this idea of maximum employment, productivity, who's actually working? Like, I think this is this is something I really think about a lot is productivity. So who's working? Like, who is out there doing this stuff? We have a massive labor shortage, but then we have people making millions of dollars on crypto. Is that a net positive for society? I don't know. If we go all in on Web3, what about like everything that needs to be done from a physical labor standpoint? And how do we think about that, that increasing divergence between quote unquote productivity and where the money is? There, there's huge misalignment, huge gap. I'll be back tomorrow with kind of a thought piece on all this stuff so sort of how i went off the went off the rails there at the end i'll be doing that a little bit more tomorrow so thanks so much for hanging out thanks so much for spending time with me let me know if you have any questions thoughts comments concerns and i will see you all tomorrow